0: Chapter One of The Lances of Linwood by Charlotte Mary Young. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Seldom had the interior of this island presented a more peaceful and prosperous aspect than in the reign of Edward the Third, when the more turbulent spirits among his subjects had found occupation in his foreign wars and his wise government had established at home a degree of plenty tranquillity and security such as had probably never before been experienced in england castle and cottage church and convent alike showed the prosperity and safety of the inhabitants at once by the profuseness of embellishment in those newly erected and by the neglect of the jealous precautions required in former days of confusion and misrule thus it was with the village of Linwood, where among the cottages and farmhouses occupying a fertile valley in somersetshire arose the ancient keep built of grey stone and strongly fortified but the defences were kept up rather as appendages of the owner's rank than as requisite for his protection though the moat was clear of weeds and full of water the drawbridge was so well covered with hard-trodden earth overgrown at the edges with grass that in spite of the massive chains connecting it with the gateway it seemed permanently fixed on the ground the spikes of the portcullis frowned above in threatening array but a wreath of ivy was twining up the groove by which it had once descended and the archway which by day stood hospitably open was at night only guarded by two large oaken doors yielding to a slight push beneath the southern wall of the castle court were various flower-beds the pride and delight of the old seneschal ralph penrose in his own estimation the most important personage of Linwood keep manager of the servants adviser of the lady AND INSTRUCTOR OF THE YOUNG GENTLEMEN IN THE EXERCISES OF CHIVALRY. ONE FINE EVENING, OLD RALPH STOOD BEFORE THE DOOR, HIS BALD FOREHEAD AND THIN IRON-GRAY LOCKS UNBONNETED, AND HIS DARK, RUDDY-BROWN FACE, MARKED AT Hallidon HILL WITH A DEEP SCAR, RAISED WITH AN AIR OF DEFERENCE, AND YET OF SELF-SATISFACTION, TOWARDS THE LADY WHO STOOD ON THE STEPS OF THE PORCH she was small and fragile in figure her face though very lovely was pale and thin and her smile had in it something pensive and almost melancholy as she listened to his narration of his dealings with a refractory tenant and at the same time watched a noble-looking child of seven or eight years old who mounted on an old war-horse was led round the court by a youth his elder by some ten or eleven years see mother cried the child i am holding the reins myself uncle eustace lays not a finger on them as i was saying madam continued ralph disregarding the interruption i told him that i should not have thought of one exempted from feudal service in the camp by our noble knight being deficient in his dues in his absence i told him we should see how he liked to be sent packing to bordeaux with a sheaf of arrows on his back instead of the sheaf of wheat which ought to be in our granary by this time but you are too gentle with em my lady and they grow insolent in sir reginald's long absence all goes ill in his absence said the lady it is a weary while since the wounded archer brought tidings of his speedy return. Therefore, said the youth, turning round, it must be the nearer at hand. Come, sweet sister Eleanor, cheer up, for he cannot but come soon. So many soons have passed away that my heart is well nigh too sick for hope, said Eleanor, and when he comes, it will be but a bright dream to last for a moment. He cannot long be spared from the prince's side. You must go with him then, sister, and see how I begin my days of chivalry. That is, if he will but believe me fit to bear shield and lance. Ah, master Eustace, if you were but such as I have seen others of your race, said Ralph, shaking his head, there was sir henry at your age he had made the scottish thieves look about them i promise you and to go no further back than sir reginald himself he stood by the prince's side at crissy ere he was yet fifteen it is not my fault that i have not done as much ralph said eustace it is not for want of the will as you know full well no thanks to me i trust you have the will and the teaching at least to make a good night said ralph and yet while i think of the goodly height and broad shoulders of those that have gone before you but hark hark cried eustace cutting short a comparison which did not seem likely to be complimentary "Dost not hear ralph a horn the linwood note my husband's note "'Oh, thanks! thanks to the saints!' cried the lady, clasping her hands, whilst Eustace, vaulting into the saddle behind his little nephew, rode across the drawbridge as fast as the stiffened joints of old Blanc-Etoile could be prevailed on to move. Gaining the summit of a rising ground, both at once shouted, "'Our own Pennon! it is himself!' as they beheld the dark blue crosslet on an argent field floating above a troop of horsemen whose armour glanced in the setting sun there are the lances of Linwood," arthur said eustace leaping to the ground keep your seat and meet your father like a brave knight's son he then settled the reins in the child's hand and walked beside him to meet the newcomers they were about twenty in number, armed alike with corslets marked with the blue cross, steel headpieces, and long lances. In front rode two of higher rank. The first was a man of noble mien and lofty stature. His short, dark, curled hair and beard, and handsome, though sunburnt, countenance displayed beneath his small blue velvet cap his helmet being carried behind him by a man-at-arms, and his attire consisting of a close-fitting dress of chamois leather, a white mantle embroidered with the blue cross thrown over one shoulder, and his sword hanging by his side. His companion, who carried at his saddle-bow a shield blazoned with heraldic devices in scarlet and gold, was of still greater height, and very slight. His large keen eyes, hair and moustache black as jet and his complexion dark brown with a well-formed aquiline nose and a perfect and very white set of teeth the instant the first mentioned horseman perceived eustace and arthur he sprang to the ground and hurried to meet them with rapid affectionate greetings and inquiries in another moment dame eleanor appeared on the drawbridge and weeping with joy was clasped in her husband's arms. Behind her stood the venerable chaplain, Father Cyril, and a step or two further off, Ralph Penrose, both of whom in turn received the kindly greetings of Sir Reginald Linwood, as with his wife hanging on his arm, and his boy holding his hand, he passed under the gateway of his ancestral castle. Turning the next moment, he addressed his tall companion friend gaston i bid you welcome dame eleanor and you brother eustace i present to you my trusty esquire master gaston D'Aubricourt. due courtesies passed between the lady and the squire who after a few words with the knight remained to see the disposal of the men while sir reginald himself entered the hall with his wife son and brother eustace did not long remain there he found that reginald and eleanor had much to say to each other and his curiosity and interest were besides greatly excited by the novelty of the scene presented by the castle court so different from its usual peaceful monotony the men were unsaddling their horses rubbing them down walking them about or removing the stains of dust and mud from their own armour while others were exchanging greetings with the villagers who were gathering in joyous parties round such of the newly arrived as were natives of the place in the midst stood the strange squire superintending a horse-boy who was rubbing down the knight's tall war-horse and at the same time ordering giving directions answering inquiries or granting permission to the men to return home with their relations ralph penrose was near his countenance as eustace could plainly perceive expressing little satisfaction at finding another authority in the court of lynwood keep the references to himself short brief and rapid and only made when ignorance of the locality compelled the stranger to apply for information the french accent and occasional french phrases with which the squire spoke made him contract his brow more and more and at last just as eustace came up he walked slowly away grumbling to himself well have it in your own way i'm too old for your gay french fashions it was not so in Humphrey arwood's time but the world has gone after the french now sir reginald has brought home as many gascon thieves as kindly englishmen eustace listened for a moment to his mutterings but without answering them and coming within a few steps of the stranger stood waiting to offer him any courtesy in his power though at the same time he felt abashed by the consciousness of his inferiority in accomplishments and experience it was the squire who was the first to speak so this is sir reginald's old keep a fine old fortalice would stand at least a fortnight's siege ah is not yonder a weak point i would undertake to scale that tower so that the battering rams made a diversion on the other side i trust it will never be tried said eustace it would be as fair a feat of arms as ever you beheld but i crave your pardon added he displaying his white teeth with a merry laugh the state of my own land has taught me to look on every castle with eyes for attack and defence and your brother tells me i am not behind my countrymen in what you english call gasconades you have seen many sieges and passages of arms asked eustace looking up in his face with an expression at once puzzled and respectful since our castle of albicourt was sacked and burnt by the count de bern i have seen little else three stricken fields two towns stormed castles more than i can remember alas said eustace i have seen nothing but the muster of arms at taunton D'Aubricourt laughed look not downcast on it said he you have time before you and one year at bordeaux is worth four elsewhere but i forget you are the young clerk and yet that scarcely accords with that bright eye of yours and the weapon at your side they spoke once of making me a clerk said eustace but i hope to show my brother that i am fit for his own way of life sir squire do but tell me do you think i look unfit to sustain the honour of my name mere strength is little said the squire else were that comely giant john ingram the best warrior in the army nor does height reckon for much de Quasclin himself is of the shortest nor do you look like the boy over whose weakly timid nature i have heard sir reginald lament he proceeded surveying him with a critical eye eustace had in fact hardly reached the middle height and was very slender his limbs were however well proportioned his step firm and every movement full of activity and grace his face shaded with bright chestnut hair was of a delicate complexion and the features finely moulded and the usual cast of expression slightly thoughtful but there was frequently and especially at this moment a bright kindling light in the dark blue eyes which changed the whole countenance from the grave and refined look of the young scholar to the bold ardent glance of the warrior a cavalier every inch of you cried striking eustace on the shoulder as he concluded his inspection i'll have the training of you my gentil damoisseau and see if i do not make you as preux a chevalier as the most burly giant of them all here know you this trick he caught up one of the lances which the men had laid aside eustace followed his example and acquitted himself to his satisfaction in one or two chivalrous manoeuvres till a summons to supper put an end to the sport. End of chapter 1